Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, yo, Dev, what's going on? Episode 100. Ooh, I cannot believe it, y'all. This has been a journey, a road to 100. It's a big milestone. A road to 100. Yeah, yeah, I want to, you know, we'll take a lot of time this episode to just appreciate uh, this 100th episode and, and rocking with BHD for this long. I mean, I just came by pretty quickly, too. You know, it's faster than I thought it would be getting to 100 episodes. Yeah, I mean, it's because we are so consistent. We do this every single week, y'all. Like, it's just a job. <laughs> not, we have not missed a week. I kind of like that accolade, you know, yeah. not consistent. Because, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Sometimes people, even a bigger podcast, miss a week or two. Uh, but we, we haven't did that. Who knows what happened down the line, but let's see how long we can keep this up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we've had a lot of really good conversations, covered a lot of things in depth, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later. But yeah, it's been it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we're going to definitely appreciate this episode in a little bit, but I guess we could do what we always do and uh, start off with some old lore news. It's been a, quite a busy week compared to last week. A lot has been going on in news. Yeah. So let's let's start there, and then and then we'll we'll talk about other stuff. Hello. And welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old lore news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say... Okay, so there were a couple of Lord news stories that we actually shared on Facebook, and we should probably discuss them uh, on uh-huh. here. But the first one is, can you believe the nerve of George Zimmerman, who has decided to sue Trayvon Martin's family, as well as Florida prosecutors for $100 million, claiming that they engineered false evidence in his homicide trial for shooting uh, the, you know, Trayvon Martin, who only had Skittles and a drink. Yeah, when I heard this story, I'm like, this is wild. Like, come on, bro. Like, wh- first of all, why won't he just go away? You know, I feel like every six months or so, he just resurfacing back in the news with something silly and going back to this. And there's no way that this lawsuit is going to hold up. <laughs> like, it's really not. Like there's no way this is defamation to character. Um, you did what you did, but he's trying to say that he's not... What do you say? He's not uh, a bigot because he's Hispanic. <laughs> That's the line he was saying, or the, or the grievance, or the rationale he was saying why this is incorrect or inaccurate—a defamation of character. Well, what's interesting is that one thing that I was kind of hearing is that George Zimmerman is just salty because the Martin family, Trayvon Martin's, you know, father and his mom, Sabrina Fulton, you know, have used this tragedy to actually like build a 
a better life for themselves by becoming activists. I think Sabrina Fulton is actually running um, for office. She's running for the Miami-Dade County Commission. Um, and he's salty because they are turning this really negative into a potential positive and fighting against these racial and racist issues. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, you know, it, it has happened to their child uh, and it sparked a movement. And I think he just need to go take a backseat somewhere and stop making it worse for himself. Um, yeah. And he and the thing about it is that he was trying to use Trayvon's death to get more money and get more clout uh, when he was trying to sell the gun and do all this other kind of stuff um, and, and try to have speaking engagements. Like, come on, man. Yeah. One thing I heard, uh, somebody kind of, this wasn't from the family, but this was somebody like putting out a speculation type post on Facebook, is that the family hasn't sued Zimmerman because one, right now he's flat broke. He doesn't have anything. So if they sued him and they won, you know, he doesn't have anything. All he had to do is, you know, file for bankruptcy, but then he can then go on to like sell the rights to his story and, you know, try to make a bunch of money. I don't know from who, but okay. Um, So it's just kind of like this, they've also put him in a position where he can't really profit off of it because they haven't like taken any like civil action against him. Mm, And if if they wait, like when he finally does, if he finally does, then they could go after him for what he makes. So it it puts him in an awkward position. Oh yeah, so they kind of have him just like on (laughs) (laughs) Not trying to make no real money because once he does, that lawsuit coming. Yeah, Um, the lawsuit is coming. That's that's, that's strategic. That's a smart thing to do if that is the case. Um, Yeah. That is the case. That's funny. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. okay. And this this other story, uh, again, we shared it, but it kind of speaks to something that we talk about often, which is about, you know, natural hair and et cetera. And there was a study that came out that linked hair dyes and hair straighteners to a higher risk uh, for cancer. And it was especially for black women. So, you know, the study found that, okay, there was like a higher risk in both black women and white women, but it was like even more of a risk for black women, which is crazy. Wow. Did they say why? Um, well, one, it could be like, for instance, for straighteners, black women just use them more often. So they Mm. found, but even for hair dye, and see, this is what I'm confused about. So for the hair dye, they found that white women um, who use permanent hair dye, it was associated with a 7% higher risk of developing breast cancer. But for black women, it was a 45% higher risk of developing breast cancer. And what the heck? That is like way big. That is like Whoa. a huge uh, jump in risk. And yeah. For straighteners, it was actually uh, the same risk, which was about 30 uh, percent uh, more likely to develop develop breast cancer if you use hair straighteners. Um, but the issue was, is that like 75 percent of the black women in the study actually use straighteners. So they're at a higher risk simply because they are at higher risk for using the chemical straighteners. But even uh, with hair dyes, they're at a higher risk just regardless. 
Wow, that almost fifty percent for the hair dye of a risk of a chance. Like that's literally almost flipping a coin every time you try to use some hair dye or use it consistently. Um, that's that's mm-hmm. alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. And it just says a lot about the chemicals that are used um, in these products uh, that can be cancer causing potentially. Um, yeah, so that's no, that's good that you uh, we posted that and and we talked about it here because I think. A lot of our listeners need to see to know about this. Yeah, they do. And it's I think the risk risk increase even more if you do it more frequently, like every six to eight weeks. So really just think about, you know, I love the advances in science and technology that we have in this world, but we really have to think about how they interact with our body chemistry. Um, And sometimes it's just not right. I love that, you know, we black women have gone to this natural hair movement and I hope we continue it because I mean, just think about how we're potentially reducing our risk for cancer by simply not indulging in these practices that have become um, such a part of our culture since, you know, they beat us over the head with Eurocentric standards of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you hit it right on the nail. I think this is um, that the movement is going in that direction, but it is now even more important because of the health implications attached to it. And and yeah, let's let's uh, get rid of that Eurocentric standard and and uplift that Afrocentric standard of beauty. Yeah, what I prefer anyway. <laughs> and that's why this new legislation introduced by Cory Booker is so important because mm-hmm. we've talked about here on before, and I was going to talk about this later. Like one of my favorite episodes was when we talked about natural hair discrimination, and mm-hmm. you know, wearing our hair as it grows out of our head can have professional implications for us. And so there's this societal pressure to engage in these practices that put you at risk for cancer. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Cory Booker has introduced a legislation called the Crown Act, create mm-hmm. a respectful and open workplace for natural hair, and it bans discrimination based on natural hair, commonly associated with a specific race or nationality. So um, let's see where that's gonna go because it's definitely needed. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, Cory Booker's been on, a, on a, <laughs> it made a couple <laughs> headlines this week um, and really race-specific headlines. And so, yeah, this natural hair thing or discrimination against natural hair is one of them because he said, like, in the, in the post, Black women are 50% more likely to be sent home from the workplace due to their hair. And 80% of Black women feel that they need to change their hair for the workplace in particular. So um, this is a, a legislation that is specific to Black women who are trying to rock natural hairstyles or just trying to be free and wear the hair they like to be but are being discriminated against. So I think it is important to have this kind of legislation introduced and hopefully it passes um, so that way it makes the the lives of our Black women a bit a bit easier. And Black men too. When we talk about things like dreadlocks and we've seen people having to cut them um, with mm-hmm. certain hairstyles, uh, mm-hmm. I think... It, it, it can work both ways, but definitely for, for black women a bit more so. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, I know you did for a moment. I don't, I don't know if you still have your hair grown out a little bit, do you? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. A little yeah. Apple yeah. <laughs> John, John too. So I think it's really important because just seeing like black men and black women embrace their natural hair. And I think California actually is the first state to recently pass legislation that banned discrimination against natural hair. I think that happened mm-hmm. this week. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. 
So that, that's good. California, like I said, every other week, man, they they pass something that's really progressive. Uh, now, if they could just lower that cost of living, then yeah. they'd be the, the, probably my favorite state. Yeah. <laughs> they outside actually, of fires. I read that California is just kind of a window into the future. Like whatever is happening in California, you could expect like the rest of the country to follow suit within the next 20 to 30 years. And I mean, that's a long time. Like mm-hmm. we'll be like 60, I guess, before we see all states pass, you know, <laughs> but it's just kind of like when it comes to demographics, when it comes to like legislation, like California is kind of, advance, but they mm-hmm. kind of set the tone for the rest of the country. So whatever we're seeing in California, we can generally expect to see it, you know, I guess nationwide within like 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we even seen that in pretty pretty rapidly with the NCAA and when they first mm-hmm. uh, made their schools allowed to pay their players. And then about a month later, the NCAA allowed all schools to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they were definitely ahead of the ball. But that, the NCAA was trying to, because that would have just been crazy. Uh, you would have all the best athletes going to Cali schools. It would have been lopsided. Um, yeah. There would be no balance. And they were going to be open to a bunch of lawsuits as well. And so they just like, oh, let's just go ahead and do it. So shout out to California for, for putting pressure on these other states to, to keep up. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um. While we're on Cory Booker, I guess we could talk about his plan really quickly, too, about HBCUs, because we talked about that with uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, last mm-hmm. week. And uh, Cory Booker has, you know, jumped on the bandwagon as well. Um, I think this is pretty strategic with Kamala dropping out of the race, uh, him trying to get voters in South Carolina competing with someone like Biden, who for some reason has been keeping those black voters in South Carolina. Uh, and so with the natural hair legislation being passed and now with his proposal to uh, give 100 billion dollars to historically black colleges and universities. Um, so I try to look at the plan similar to what I did with Bernie Sanders. Um, a good amount of overlap, but I would say that uh, uh, Cory Booker's plan definitely is a bit more specific um, and less vague compared to uh, Bernie Sanders's plan. Uh, I think that one thing, and this is, I think we talked about this a while back too, when Kamala first introduced her plan for HBCUs is that, you know, they're giving $30 billion in grants uh, for the STEM field of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, um, again, I am not against that. But, you know, Daphne, you and I have been in school for higher education for a long time. And most of the time in most schools you go to, the STEM programs already have way more resources than the liberal arts uh, programs. And so it's, it's like, why can't we just even that out, give a little bit more or give a good chunk or a few billion to the liberal arts because they already get the new buildings and the, the, the even the professors get paid more and all the resources and the facilities, all that stuff. And, you know, liberal arts, we kind of just like, okay, can we get a little bit of that too? Especially being yeah. at a place like Purdue. But even when I was at HBC, when I was at Hampton, same thing, engineering programs, all that kind of stuff were very well. And our psychology program was like, we needed a lot more. Um, and I think all that stuff is very important too. But just think about where we're going. And this this will probably lead into one of the stories you have. But just think about where we're going. We're building up science and technology. But as we talked about in the past, science and technology is in some ways starting to become our enemy. But we are pulling back on the social sciences and the liberal arts. And we're becoming like less intelligent as a nation, more just 
uh, intolerant as a nation because we don't have to study society. It's so strange. Like we really need to invest in both. (laughs) It is. It is. It's like we're really moving to those kind of like super futuristic movies when like people are like in virtual reality the whole time, don't even interact with one another and fully relying on that kind of stuff. We're really heading into that direction. uh, Yeah. Which I think is getting scary. I think it was funny. There was this uh, post that somebody was going viral. Somebody had put up an old newspaper clip um, and it was when the phones were just, just invented like way back in the day, like, Thomas Jefferson and them all them. And the dude was just, whoever it was, wrote just wrote a quick excerpt and saying, like, um, he was predicting the future of cell phones. And he predicted that cell phones would, um, that people would have individual cell phones. And he was like, I believe that people will even be able to, like, see each other's faces oh, <laughs> in the cell phone as they speak. And this was, like, super, like, 19, early 1800s, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, something like that. And this guy was predicting that. Is that is so crazy. It, it's so crazy. And so now, like, you know, the things people are feeling about technology and robots and, and what it's doing, I think, you know, we're, we're not too far away from that as well. Um, but like you said, this all goes back to education. And, yes, because I think a part of it is because they feel like we're behind globally when it comes to STEM education. Uh, but on the flip side, yo, the humanity aspect is just as important, maybe even more so important uh, than than just focusing on. I think this is why someone like Steve Jobs was so good at what he did is because he made sure to keep the human element always involved in the creation of new technology Mm. had a very liberal arts mindset and you can see how innovative that was and once he left and iphone's been kind of (laughs) stagnant yeah people have been questioning like why am i even still buying apple products i'd be questioning the same thing but i guess it's just convenience at this point for me yeah yeah but we'll see we'll see what you're on this yeah. Did you hear about uh, Nikki Haley's comments about the Confederate flag? No. Okay. So she was having a conversation <clears throat> on a news program. She was talking about uh, the Dalen Roof shooting where, you know, in South Carolina, where it, he, it was a massacre. Um he killed uh, the people in the the church. You remember the Dalen Roof shooting? Mm-hmm. In Charleston, yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Well, mm-hmm. she said that, uh, you know, of course she said South Carolina fell to its knees and stuff like that. But she said that before Dalen Roof, that the flag, the Confederate flag represented service, sacrifice and heritage. But essentially that Dalen Roof hijacked the meaning of the flag uh, and kind of forever changed the meaning of it to like something that's hateful. Why is she going to blame it on that one kid? (laughs) All of a sudden he just changed the meaning of it now. No, that's how it's always been. Like, come on now. Yeah, the the Confederate flag has always been a symbol of hate. Yes, yes. Uh, And that's why he used it. But yeah, yeah, there's something wrong with her. Yeah, that's wild. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, really quick, we know that uh, Kamala dropped out of the race this week, mm-hmm. um, which made a lot of headlines, surprised a, a bunch of folks because she did qualify for the next debate. So people at least thought that she was going to go there and then see what can happen. But 
as we talked about in a couple episodes ago, we already kind of predicted it because we see her closing up shop in certain places. Um, and then and now, and then she was dwindling in the polls from a hot start. And now she's dropped out largely because of financial issues. Um, her camp did a audit and essentially she needed to raise about $5 million in a week which she felt was impossible and then had to make the, the tough decision of, of dropping out of the race. Uh, many folks feel like she's doing this to save her, I guess, political face in a way um, mm-hmm. for future runs, whether she wants to run for Senate again, potentially governor uh, or another presidential run in the next one. Um, and one of the biggest critiques when I've been like reading a lot of articles as far as why they, you know, kind of, analyzing why they believe her campaign failed. And one of the things is the one of the things we mentioned on this podcast is uh, that they felt that she didn't really have a coherent message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like what did Kamala really stand for? And it really wasn't clear. And so uh, there was nothing for people to kind of, you know, get excited about and, and stand with her on. And I'm pretty sure if she were to do this presidential run again, uh, she would have a very clear message next time around. Um, mm-hmm. So, so just worth mentioning. Um, you know, I was kind of surprised by some of the reactions. It's kind of like on my Facebook feed, I, I started seeing like all of these people like, oh my goodness, she dropped out. And like, you know, her, you know, headlines, like her chances were ruined uh, because racists called her a cop. And like all of these narratives that kind of, it seemed like were rewriting things because I don't feel like anybody was ever like a huge fan of Kamala Harris. Yeah, she had a following enough to actually make it to the debates, but it was, it was kind of like the, you know, when people pass and you start saying nice things about them, yeah. I felt like she kind of dropped out and all of a sudden people had all of these like great things to say about, you know, I'm not saying she's bad, but it was just weird because I, I, I didn't see anybody going hard for her when she was in the race. So I'm like, where all this energy come from? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was going. I, get, I think it's one of those things. Yep. They miss you when you're gone. Um, <laughs> and I just feel like Kamala just. I think it was, the excitement was initially like, oh, black woman, you know, uh, could this be an- another shot, you know, potential Obama excitement. And so I think that's probably why there was a little bit more excitement and the numbers were a bit higher because of just that general interest. Um, and I think that she just failed to keep that momentum uh, by creating a message, by giving people a real reason to stand behind her. Um, and I think, you know, and I always just kind of felt that I feel like she is, I feel like not everyone is going to be a great president, right? I feel like she's a great senator, right? Could probably be a great governor. I'm not sure how I feel completely about her being president, um, but you know, I don't think she's a terrible politician or, or somewhat representative of us in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I, I knew it was going to be a long, a long shot in a way to get to that presidential, that presidential nomination. So. But you're right. Uh, I don't know why a lot of people are coming out now being all extra sad about it. Uh, but I think it, it's part potentially because we ain't going to have many black folks because Corey ba- barely hanging in there. And then yeah. Kamala's already out. So <laughs> we ain't really about to see none of us on the stage, uh, which yeah. is, you know, a sad thing. Yeah, I was actually wondering if she got out early enough, partly to save face, but also partly to potentially build bridges. Yeah. And build VP. somebody VP, yeah. hmm mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that's a possibility. I think she will be looked at seriously, uh, depending on who wins. Mainly because, uh, ain't there's no way that Bernie, there's no way that Joe, 
can pick a a white male VP. Um, yeah. Ideally, a VP that is a woman of color would be ideal, uh, but a person of color or a woman. But I feel like Kamala checks off both of those boxes, being a woman of color, and you know she made it pretty far uh, in the race. So I think she she's going to be considered by most of the folks who who may, who who are leading at the end, especially even Buddha Judge. Like none of them, they're going to have to. It'll be. I think uh, almost political suicide to choose another white male as their running partner. But what's crazy is I could see Pete doing that. Like of all the people up there, I'm like, he seemed like the type that would still like have another white male. Probably, probably, <laughs> probably. And it's, and I don't think it would hurt him as much because he is raising in the polls because he is getting some of those conservative votes uh, mm-hmm. uh, from being in the Midwest and speaking to the rural communities. And so, that if he's going to try to pull more of those votes from somebody like a Trump, it would be a potentially strategic move that wouldn't hurt him as much as it would hurt probably somebody else like a Bernie and others who are like really progressive. Uh, Buddha Judge is not coming out as like a super progressive candidate. So At I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what else I got? Um, oh, really quickly, we talked about technology. Um, and so the FBI sent a warning this week, or really right after, shortly after Black Friday, because, you know, people buy a lot of TVs. And what they said is that uh, if you are buying new smart TVs, you have to be careful because hackers are now controlling these devices where they can, especially ones with like webcams and stuff like that. And they can hack into these softwares of your phone, not your phone, of your, of your, um, TVs and like turn your webcams on, watch you, turn TVs on, and then use that connection to uh, get into your other devices because these devices don't have a lot of security in it. And it's primarily a lot of the newer ones. I, I like my TV definitely don't have no webcam on there, but <laughs> some of the new ones do. Uh, and what they're saying is that you should a couple of things of uh, to help you uh, make sure that this doesn't happen to you is that you know if anything comes with a default password, change that immediately to your own personal right. password. Um, check the permissions granted uh, by these devices that, you know, usually try to connect to mobile apps and stuff. And they're saying the main thing is to um, limit access location, right? So make sure they don't have, you know, you don't have your location up and not trying to have your apps running in the background. Um, Mm. So try to close them when you're not using them. Use auto updates uh, because the auto updates make sure that they always have the newest like firmware and software updates that protect you from hackers. And so if you do it on your own and you take a few months to update it and you still have the older software, then you're leaving yourself more um, liable to being infiltrated. And also they're saying a big thing, too, is that try to if you can, if you have a Wi-Fi with different Um, you know, like maybe like a 5G or different connections and you can connect different devices on different Wi-Fi. They said, try to keep all your TV and like, you know, tablet devices and all those kind of entertainment things on one thing on on one uh, section of your Wi-Fi and then have you like your personal computer, laptop and maybe phone on another Wi-Fi. So that way, if they were to hack your TV, they couldn't use that Wi-Fi connection to get into like your personal computer and access all that information and stuff too. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. We gonna have mm-hmm. to write that down. Take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So make sure y'all out here being safe. You know, again, technology 
it's a good thing. It's convenience, but we want to make sure that you are protected in this day and age when it comes to all these um, issues with it. Um, any, let me see. Well, I got, uh, what is this one? Oh, um, this is kind of a political thing. Um, I, have you seen the story about the food stamps? With, uh, with uh, Trump. Um, so pretty much hundred hundreds of thousands of people, they're saying around 700,000 people are uh, at risk for losing food stamps. Um, essentially, the Trump administration is putting uh, has put forth a proposal um, that will potentially remove 700,000 people from food stamps. Essentially, what they're trying to say is that people have to work. Um, if you're not disabled, if you don't have any children, you have to work at least 20 hours a week for three months. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 To qualify. And they're saying this will save about five point the government about five point five billion dollars. Um, and I'm like, this is so messed up because you're trying to save money by taking away from the already desperate and the poor. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, let's cut them off so we can save five point five billion dollars instead of saying, Oh, let's actually take or make save money by um taking money from the billionaires, right? Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't it's, make any sense. It's always easier to target the poor people. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like yeah. that's they go for low hanging fruit in terms of saving money. I mean, we could save money if we weren't paying for so many uh Trump golf trips. Yeah, How about that? Yeah, yeah. Like one less golf trip, man. Uh so what's interesting though, this is a proposal. He they proposed something like this not too long ago. I forgot some kind of farmers initiative policy and both parties bipartisan they shot it down. Um so hopefully the same thing will happen this time. They're just trying to like repackage it in a different way. Uh, but people are keeping their eye on it. And when it gets to a vote, more than likely than not, hopefully most people vote it down because uh, it just doesn't make any sense to do that. And it's really uh, college students and stuff like that would be affected um, who who uh, get on food stamps, things along those lines. So a lot of folks, 700,000 is a lot. Uh, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned farmers, but you know what? I saw it said that the Trump's bailout of the farmers has it's been like more money than like Obama's bailout for like the auto industry. Have you said, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I just thought that was, it wouldn't surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. Trump's uh, farm bailout has cost over 10 billion this year. That's more than double the auto bailout. Wait, so Mm. so farmers say Trump's well, it's been like twenty eight billion total, so just ten billion mm. this year. Um, yeah, but it's all because of his own like trade and war, though. So yeah. oh yeah, 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 trying to supplement that. Yeah, and also that's a big portion of his voter base. Yeah, the, the rural communities and agricultural based business communities. Yeah. he's um, essentially buying votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what twenty eight billion dollars worth. Keep that he keep his voters happy for his upcoming election. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, and one last story that I had uh, was a story going around from the New York Times, where uh, the New York Police Department are getting sued for discrimination by some of their own officers, um, largely black and Hispanic officers. I think it started with about five, and now it's been growing, um, the lawsuit. And one of the big issues is that dealing with these quotas of their superior officers, forcing them to ticket 
people and sanction people and primarily only ticketing and sanctioning black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one officer, Daniel Perez, has a quote saying that his officer, his superior officer told him that you're stopping too many Russians and Chinese. Like, uh, you should write more uh, black and Hispanic people, literally telling him this. Yeah. Uh, so the, the lawsuits between 2011 and 2015. But it's just crazy that this is still going on today. But I'm glad that, you know, they're fighting back from within their own people. Like, yeah, we've had enough. Yeah. I also read in an article, didn't they? Like, so for the soft targets, which were like white people and Asian people, um, they weren't like what's supposed to handcuff them or something like that versus like the hard targets. Yeah. Like, yeah. Actually also treating them differently and with respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, I'm glad that they're actually coming out and saying it because it kind of removes that veil of like, oh, this doesn't happen. Like people are just making this up, you know, um, and now like the officers are saying like, no, nah, we, we were told to do this. This is true. This is real. Um, so now it takes that argument away from folks who try to say otherwise. Uh, but also that that difference in treatment also ex- creates a lot of this uh, disconnect we see between the communities because white folks will be like, uh, police, what are you talking about? That same police officer stopped me and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you're mm-hmm. clearly lying. And the black person is like, nah, he like beat the <laughs> hell out of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and so it just, it just creates that, that contention. Uh, and people aren't realizing like, yo, both things can actually be true. Uh, and so mm, I don't know that's... if I'm glad this is coming to the light. But New York is a hot mess anyway. This this one last story. Have you heard uh-huh. that like, and we saw this when we were living in uh, Lafayette with Chicago, but New York has actually been like relocating all of their homeless people to like different communities around the country uh, so they can get rid of their homeless problem. Did you hear oh, about oh that? Oh my goodness. And then, and no, I didn't hear about that. And they can probably say that their homeless rates are dropping and they're yeah. doing well. So they have this special one time assistance program that allows families who have been living in a shelter for a year more to relocate to some other state and they pay their rent for 12 months. But the people are being transitioned into like substandard conditions in like the other states. And now like governors and leaders of other states are complaining because they're like, okay, you could be a little bit more transparent if you're going to move people who have financial issues and struggles to a new state like how about you warn us so that we can be prepared and we can have a response to ensure that our homeless rates aren't increasing yeah like you just (laughs) oh my gosh that's so messed up um it don't don't surprise me man although new york city's uh, you know pretty you're politically pretty progressive in some ways, uh, they do a lot of questionable things. I feel like there's still always a lot of corruption going on yeah. um, with the politicians in these areas. Like you see old Bloomberg now. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Coming into the race. Do you think he has um, a real chance? Uh, Yeah, um, because of his billionaire friends <laughs> um, who want him to run and win uh, and combat Trump in a way. But I feel like he's just uh, uh, going to serve the interests of many of the rich, just on the liberal side, because um, he's been pretty conservative in a lot of ways yeah. as well. So it's funny how these people flip flop uh, and like all of a sudden, right before he announces, he's apologizing for, for stopping first. Yeah, I saw that like a little bit too late. Yeah, man, because it's not even genuine. Yeah. It's like, yo, you're just trying to say this so you can. And then, you know, and then, but his first 
I guess, initiatives and discussions have been around criminal justice, which clearly he has to do to show that he's really serious about um, taking this forward. But yeah, I think, you know, and the fact that he's able to raise so much money and money's not an issue for him and already qualify and all this kind of stuff, I think uh, you can't, I think he does have a chance, Um, but we'll see. I think he can't be too conservative, if you will, uh, because most folks are looking for somebody a bit more progressive leaning. Um, but it'll be interesting. I'll definitely be tuning into this debate now that we got a couple new people in there. <laughs> See what they talk about. I do have a question. Is there mm-hmm. is there any circumstance that you would withhold your votes or vote third party just for the like? Yeah. Like if Bloomberg was the Democratic candidate. Could you could you see yourself voting for him? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't. I gotta get Trump out of there, man. I don't know. I could take that chance if I can, like, really just chance it and do it. I, I think I would have to vote uh, regardless um, because I just Trump is doing the most. Yeah. And I don't think I. Although I would probably be sick to my stomach having to do that. I think that. Uh, Allowing Trump to continue this reign of terror he's been doing on just everyone uh, who's marginalized and vulnerable and immigrants. And I just couldn't I just couldn't let that happen, you know. And I feel like somebody like Bloomberg, although his interests will probably still be for the rich, I don't see him being we'll see. But as extreme when it comes to some of these like aggressive immigration policies and race and that kind of stuff, it'll probably go back or feel more of like the politics of old, right? When you yeah. Like George Bush and them in office, uh, which I can definitely tolerate more so than somebody like a Trump. Yeah. It'll still, it'll still be, uh, what's crazy is it will be a step forward, but we would still be way behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially where we came from with Obama. Oh man. Ooh, yeah. Let's, let's hope that this does not happen. Um, but money talks, man. Money talks. And we see what happened with Trump. And so now when I see somebody like Bloomberg coming in, uh, you just can't rule that all the way out. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. Um, one last uh, kind of old Lord story, if you will, has to do with BHD before we start talking about this. And so um, I'm not sure. Have you heard of SEOs? Dad? Um, That's like search engine optimization. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have that with BHD and that every month they kind of give us like a report through Google. Um, and you sign up for them to let you know, like how people are finding you, how many people have found you through just searching on Google, all that kind of stuff. So they, what they do, they also let you know, like what websites, what are the top websites people are looking for and then stumble upon your website? Oh Lord. <laughs> and so the number one website where people are looking for, right. Is black.com. When I Google black dot com, you know what it is? Don't tell me it's like a dating something. <laughs> no, it's a porn website. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my so god! It's like ebony porn. Too... Yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like black as clear with black people in it, and it's Woo! called black dot com. Oh my god! Uh, and this is not an ad, y'all. <laughs> How long do those people stay on the web? Stay on black and highly dangerous. <laughs> Oh, I didn't have that information. (laughs) But it's just funny that they are searching for that and then they stumble upon our website. So I guess shout out to any new listeners that we have from that was searching black.com. No. Uh uh. Uh, 
Uh, I thought that was funny, man. Um, but I guess a lot of people searching for that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought I wanted to share that with our, our listeners. That was a funny, funny observation. Yes. That came in the report. Your report. Um, all right. So uh, let's let's get into, you know, some of this uh, reflection uh, mm-hmm. since it is our 100th episode. And we've been in this for almost two years now. And I'm sure we've gotten a lot of new listeners uh, since we've started. And I think uh, one thing that I kind of want to do, we want to do before we get into some of the reflecting things is just uh, really rediscuss what BHD is about. Because I'm sure if you started listening within the past few months or so, you might not have gone back and listened to episode 00, where we kind of introduced the podcast. And I think this is a good opportunity to kind of do that again, uh, to give an idea of, you know, why we started this and and what even the name stands for, Black and Highly Dangerous, right? Um, And I think uh, the premise of it, when I talk about Black and Highly Dangerous and why I want to come up with this name, uh, one, because definitely the acronym BHD uh, and, you know, DAF and I, PhDs. um, So I think that was a clever way of doing it, but also because uh, we felt that with our tagline, the oppressor's worst fear, that historically, when it comes to black folks, you know, whether we talk about imagery in the media and how black folks are portrayed uh, sometimes as being violent and aggressive, even since the slavery days, right? How they try to show or illustrate us how we are dangerous in these ways. But when you look historically of what they've always feared the most is an educated black person, an enlightened black person, an aware black person. Um, and so this is the main premise of this podcast is to enlighten, educate, raise awareness on certain issues uh, because they've always, you know, stopped us from trying to read, stopped us from having equal access to schools, throwing people in prison. Even when we talk about like the Black Panther Party trying to uplift the community education, they shot that down really quickly. So historically, the oppressors and white folk have always just tried to make sure that we stay in the dark. Um, and continue to be oppressed in many ways. And so that's why we came up with this black and highly dangerous with referencing it back to just education and enlightenment, um, because that is what the oppressor has always consistently feared the most historically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to add on to that, it was really important for us. Um, so we went to uh, graduate school together at Purdue. And I think both of us, we were always interested in doing more than just studying the issues and doing more than just talking to other academics or people who have access to these library databases and and can easily pull the information um, that we have. And I know for me, when I first got into graduate school and I started reading things about educational inequality, and I was like, yo, I wish I could have read this article when I was a teacher. Like this information would have been really useful. And so it was about bridging the gap between the knowledge that's produced in the academy, some of it's good, some of it's not, but Mm -hmm. also bridge that with conversations that people have every day, but do it, have these conversations without necessarily having all of the information. And, you know, it's not trying to indoctrinate anybody, but it's kind of like, 
hear the facts, not feelings. That was another one of our little models. Mm -hmm. Facts, not feelings. Mm -hmm. Here are the facts. Let's get your feelings out of it. And let's have a conversation about what the issues really are. So um, I feel like that was also or still is a really big part of what we do. Uh, Sometimes we just have these conversations off of what we think we know, what we feel, and sometimes what we feel and what we think we know is just not accurate. Um, and so that's another reason why we're here, to spread knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that, I mean, yeah, that's another core value for sure. Uh, you're right, I think it was abundantly clear while in graduate school that this information that we were getting, and I think also of us being first generation uh, and then still having ties to folks who haven't ever experienced you know, the academy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, yo, we're learning all of this, gaining all this knowledge. And then back in our community, nobody knows any of this. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was this this internal desire of like, I just cannot sit up here and entertain these white folks. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot sit up here and entertain these academics um, and do all of this just for them, just for sta- uh, status and clout to to get, get prestigious by producing all these articles. I'm like, I... I feel like I just have this urge to disseminate this information to folks who don't have access to these spaces, which a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think I was happy that we were able to create this platform to to use it as a tool to do that. Yeah. And it's far too expensive. So I've thought about like if I graduate and I don't have a job next year, how expensive it would be just to pull articles, like paying like 30 or $40 for any given academic yeah. article. And so to have the authors of these articles and these books come on and talk about the findings and talk about what's in there, it's, it's, it's free knowledge. I mean, we should call this BHD University. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, it really is. I think that's what we're building here. We're kind of, you know, going against that, um, I don't know, that kind of aura of, of academia in it supposed to be public, but it is very private in in many ways. Uh, There's so much information, but it's just kept in that bubble. And so we're just kind of poking little holes in that bubble and releasing some of that information so y'all can consume for for the free. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's just something that I've I've felt good about doing since we've been doing this, and I've really enjoyed uh, for sure. Um, And I I guess you want to Oh, go ahead. I was about to say one misconception that I think we do want to make sure we have cleared up in terms of our mission is that we have a lot of academics on. We, you know, we invite them, but it's not just for academics. We've had so many people on who are not researchers, who do not do research in academia full time. So in terms of, you know, our guests, it's more about having informed discussions about various topics and you do not need Mm -hmm. a degree to have all the information. So I think that's also important just to put that out there. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that, no, I'm glad you uh, remembered to talk about that because even yet yeah, we've had guests on there like, oh, I was shocked because I'm not a PhD. And we're like, oh, yeah, we can see why people get that. But that is not uh, what we're looking for, you know, just only to have academics on here. Like I said, our general premise is to enlighten and educate and inform and you don't have to have a PhD to do any of those things um, yeah. from your various experiences and whatever you're doing in the community. Like we want to talk to you if, you know, you feel And of course, if you feel then we feel that it is an important aspect that relates to people of color in the black community at large. And so, yeah, we want to definitely debunk that. Good, good call, Dev. Uh, this is not 
only for PhDs, y'all. So spread it around or or even give us guest suggestions who you feel uh, would be great to have on and just share what they do when it comes to, you know, the Black experience mm -hmm. in whatever form that takes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so even with that being said, because I, I want to talk about some of our favorite or, you know, um, or episodes or moments of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, as we reflected, you know, it's been a hundred episodes in. Um, so I guess you, you want to start with some of the ones you've had. I kind of went back and looked at all of them and was like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember this one. So I, I, yeah. I want to talk about a couple of them, but I'll let you start. Yeah, of course, I would say just because this has been like a huge topic for African-American women over the past couple of years, celebrities have come out with their own, you know, stories of, experiencing trauma from childbirth as black women. So of course, one of my faves was having Dr. Nicole Sparks on to talk about the real, to talk about how do you advocate for yourself as a patient? Um, and you know, even sharing her stories as an OBGYN, I, I really love that episode because it, it, it really just spoke to my concerns and I know the concerns of many other black women. So yeah, that was one of my favorites. Mm, no, that, that was definitely a good one. I definitely learned a lot uh, for sure in that one. You know, uh, do you know what our number one downloaded episode is? Uh, mm. do you want? You I well, I, I what? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> uh, our number one downloaded episode is actually one of our earlier episodes, episode eight. Of what does it mean to sound black with oh, Nicole Yeah, that was Nicole a good Holiday. one. Yeah. That was a great episode. And that was actually what, you know, one of my favorites as well. And I have a whole bunch, you know, I, I like all the interviews, but some do stand out. And this one was, we just did, you know, within our first month or so. Um, and I don't know, it was just so interesting, you know, talking about sociolinguistics and how it affects the black community. And um, it seems like people really go and enjoy that one. So for our listeners, too, it is our number one listen to episode since we've been doing this. So if you haven't yet, I would definitely go su suggest check that one out and the work that uh, Dr. Holiday has been doing. Yeah, I remember I had to like admonish myself on that episode because we had just talked about, you know, mocking different, you know, accents yeah. and stuff like that. And then I, I did the little redneck accent. I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. But I caught myself. That was that was the, I like yeah, that. Yeah, you did. That was a good one. 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 What's another one you have? Um, gotta have my pops when we invited our dads on to talk and they had their little uh bonding <laughs> moments and stuff like that. It's like, oh Lord. Yeah. That was a good one. That Plus, was good. we found out Ty, what, you took out a car, like you uh snuck out the car and crashed it or something. What did you do? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when I was driving, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be driving, I, and I, I, I told him the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got <laughs> to about hear about my, Ty's bad moments. <laughs> my bad behavior. <laughs> Being a rebellious teenager, I guess. Oh. Uh, so yeah, that was a fun episode having the having the parents on. Um, I had. Let me see what else I like. I like uh, the episodes where uh we had i guess two in particular again this is kind of goes to what we were saying where you 
we don't expect people to come on with PhDs and stuff. And, you know, we talked to Kendra Barnes about real estate. I had that one too. Um, I had that one too. Yeah. That, that one was a really good and informative one of just like educating us on the game of how to own property and get it. And then of course, Ash Cash, who was an early episode mm-hmm. two, episode seven of about personal finance. Um, his book based off of Jay-Z 444, um, which was like a really energetic interview and him just dropping that financial knowledge of, again, how to uh, invest in yourselves and and save money and budget and all that kind of stuff, which was like a really, really informative episode. Yeah, I was also going to mention the key resource episode, which was episode 38. Um, I joined the Facebook group. And if you haven't, you should definitely join it because, you know, even if you aren't ready to start investing the group has a lot of useful information just about people who want to buy houses so there's like this uh, national assistance corporation something i'll have to list it but it's naca and it's like this home yeah yeah, naca it's like this home buying program um and people talk about it a lot in that group and it's something that i'm even considering in terms of being like a first time home buyer and uh we'll list that as a resource but i also did get into real estate investing based on like some things she said and i'm i'm just new to the game just started just really (laughs) small steps but i did this year i got my first piece of property is land but it's something that i own and it was because of that key resource episode Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. See, see, we out here changing lives, making yes. money. Moves. Making money. Moves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those episodes were really good. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely highlight folks checking those out because you do learn something, right? Practical advice outside of the, you know, things, other things we talk about, policies, laws, et cetera. But it's good to get some of that practical stuff in there, too. Yeah. Another one that I had was actually the Black Elephants episode. So most of them actually that you said we've listed are not PhDs, but one who was a PhD Mm -hmm. um, wrote a book, Black Elephants in a Room. And to get insight into the minds of Black Republicans was just so interesting to me that many of them are pro-Black, but anti-big government because they don't want government in the lives of black people because they think it could have negative repercussions and it's just kind of like that was a mind blown moment for me like not all of the black republicans are the uh Parish Denards and the candace owens the uncle tom in other words (laughs) (laughs) so that was really interesting Yeah, no, that was a good one. Because I want to follow off on that, too, is uh, Change They Can't Believe In. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Chris Parker. Oh, he is <laughs> and I think personally, yes, personally, one of the reasons I enjoyed that episode is because he really has me looking forward to tenure. Like, <laughs> just just the, the boldness, just the way, the freedom of just saying what you want, how you want it, to who you want to. Oh, man. I mean, that's really refreshing for me, like working towards that tenure and just seeing someone like him, another black man who has that tenure, just has that kind of just like freedom. I almost feel like what 
what is more free than a black man or a black person with tenure, man? Like, ah, I just feel like it's a, a great feeling in a lot of ways. Yeah. Anyway, that's the vibes I got from his his talk. Yeah, that's a, and I think that also gives insight into like academics. You can have a PhD, but you you a real person. He was he was black, y'all. Like he was his <laughs> blackest on the episode, and I loved it. I love uh, that's Chris Parker. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, one of my last ones was Sean Cypher Wall, who came mm, on, I that one too. yeah, and talked about uh, the intersex community because you know we often talk about LGBT issues, but also Lord, uh, Dr. Lord's, uh, Dolores Fallens, you know, talked to us about like we often don't talk about the I or the Q and, you know, put us in touch with Sean Cypher Wall. And we had this amazing discussion about what it means to be intersex. And, you know, he really went into depth about um, his personal story, uh, living as an intersex person and how the medical field um, just sometimes doesn't have it right. And that was just an amazing episode. Yeah, no, that was that was really good um, because it's such a like I never discussed it before. You know, I've never seen it on you know radio shows or talk shows or like it's just like we do talk about the LGBTQIA community all the time, uh, but we don't talk about some of the specifics. And and bringing Cipher on to talk about the intersex community was just like super enlightening. I mean, I was just like everything that he was saying was just something new to me. And I was just taking it all in, and so I would definitely suggest if you or anybody is curious about that to go talk to check that episode with cypher yeah which i believe was episode 71 72. oh okay or 72 yeah i, I 71 or 72. it's around there yeah. Yeah, 71 72 <laughs> <laughs> y'all find it um uh and then um two more shout outs one i got is um you know when i think I'm happy that, you know, we can see the growth of BHD when we've been able to get, you know, uh, New York Times bestsellers and Pulitzer Prize winning authors mm-hmm. um, on our show. When we talk about Robin D'Angelo for New York Times bestseller with White Fragility, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great conversation. And James Foreman uh, on, on, on his book as well. Um, so I think that it was like. I don't know. I, I felt really proud of us, you know, like, oh, well, we really getting uh, some of the big names out here. Oh, Anthony C. Thompson, right? Yes, uh, as well, yes. Been a, who we love, someone who's a big supporter of our podcast and helps us out a lot behind the scenes, too. So shout out to Anthony C. Thompson, who just always been, you know, looking out for us and always been in contact with us, communicative. So, um, yeah, just like, you know, some some people, some folks uh, for who I didn't think, you know, when we started this podcast, you know, you don't imagine certain things of like who you would talk to, who you would be able to reach and and getting some of those folks on there who are known, you know, nationally and and abroad. Uh, it was a really cool thing that they took the time to come chat with us on BHD. So definitely. And, and my final shout out is a shout out to us, Yay! you know. <laughs> Celebrate yourself. Yeah, shout out to us for some of the episodes we've even done, you know, when it's just you and I, like the Game of Loans episode, which people really, really enjoy where we're breaking down student loans um, and giving, you know, talking about the overall structure of it, but also giving people advice of what to look for when you're trying to get student loans. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about gun violence with the episode. This is America um, and, and how that affects black people. And we've talked about legal mar- uh, legalization of marijuana. Uh, we talked about so many things ourselves that, you know, that are some of my favorite episodes too. And our listeners have reached out and said we're some of their favorite episodes. So I want to, 
you know, give a shout out to, to you too, Dad, oh, for putting in that work. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I thought, so I would say for me, kind of reflecting on it, like BHD is like an educational experience for me as well. I think one thing that we like to emphasize is we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything, but we have a lot of resources to figure mm-hmm. it out and read about it. And I've you know, over this PhD journey, you've taken a lot of information, but to actually figure out how to um, put it back out in a format that is accessible to other people and actually interesting to other people has been a learning experience for me. I really enjoyed uh, our episode where we talked about uh, kind of like like the New Deal and like tracing that history to see how it is shapes inequality today. Um, and I do think somebody like um, sent you like a shout out about that episode, but it was like going through those resources and just reteaching myself and learning from the things that, you know, Ty brings, who is a master at mixing, um, just to see like the growth that, you know, he has had with learning everything about producing a podcast, just from reading. (laughs) 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 It's crazy, y'all. It is. It's a lot. Um, yeah, it's a lot. I think we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit as far as the, the future of, of the growth of the podcast when we like to see. But yeah, I think it, I think we can. Let's um, take some time to just, you know, I don't think we really do that a lot on this podcast. Um, and I think I would like to take some time to, I guess, share our personal journeys, right, of, of producing this podcast, like what is kind of like a behind the scenes look um, of, of, of what it kind of takes. Because uh, I think that's just important. For people to know, even if you're thinking about doing something similar, right? <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's not discussing and people are just like, oh, I want to do it. But, I, you know, sometimes you need to know the real of of, of what it all entails and, and the sacrifice uh, that, you know, not only like Daph and I have made, but also our spouses, mm-hmm. you know, have, to, mm-hmm. have to, to handle with us because of uh, the, the interviews and it could be time consuming, the preparation, um, doing everything, uh, the editing, all that kind of stuff. You know, it takes time away from our significant others too who have to deal with it who I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. so shout out to John and Kristen of course yes. <laughs> uh, without y'all this wouldn't be possible yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and I think that even for me personally I guess I could start sharing a little bit uh, of the journey what it's been like for me is that well uh, you know shortly after I graduated and I've never you know only a, only a handful of people know about this you know of course Daph knew about it because we worked together for so long uh but shortly after I graduated uh, Purdue, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis. And, uh, you know, like Daph and I have talked about plenty of times on this podcast, you know, while I was at Purdue, I was like super in shape, always in the gym, working out. And one of the things about this particular disease is that it affects the muscles. Um, and the reason why I found out something was wrong, well, the first way I found something was wrong was that my um, my eye started to droop a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Went to a bunch of eye doctors. They couldn't really find anything wrong. One eye doctor suggested that it might be an autoimmune. And so then um, I went to go to get tested and they said, yeah, it, it's pretty much myasthenia gravis. And so it, the, 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 the symptoms were mild in the beginning. Um, just really kind of the eye would droop on and off every once in a while, nothing ser- serious. Um, but then about a year later, probably about 2016. Um, again, I was in the gym, 
Uh, my wife and I had just finished run, running a couple of weeks before running a half marathon in Brooklyn. Right. And then, you know, I'm used to lifting so many weights, doing all this stuff. And I literally, if I went to the gym, uh, I tried to lift 20 pound dumbbell just to warm up. I couldn't even lift it up. Mm-hmm. All my strength had just depleted out of nowhere, uh, which was, you know, a pretty, pretty scary thing. Um, and so naturally I had, you know, went to the doctor's. And, you know, I got a lot of treatment as far as medication. I was on this really aggressive medication for a few years. Uh, and even when we started the podcast, things were on an up and up. Uh, I started to improve, regain my strength and all that kind of stuff. But the side effects of the medication was crazy. Um, anyway, say all that to say that when we started the podcast, things were doing well. And then probably about, what, a year into the podcast, that was mm-hmm. it? Or Something like, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to, my, I started to... Uh, deteriorate again, my muscles and symptoms started to come back and I had to go get surgery Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, during the summer of what, I can't remember, 2017 maybe? It was 2018. I I think it was 2018. 2018, 2018, yeah. Um, So I had to go get surgery uh, and I was out, you know, I couldn't do much. Really, it took me about a month and a half to like fully recover uh, from the surgery, uh, which was a lot. And that was like my first surgery ever. It was a major surgery um, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I say all that to say that doing all of this, uh, going through all this behind the scenes, still having the support, of course, Chris and the folks, my co-hosts like Daph and Homie, uh, we still been able to produce this podcast every week. Yeah. And that's how dedicated we were uh, to the production of this podcast and making sure that, you know, our listeners were getting something every week, even though it took a lot behind the scenes to stay motivated to keep going. Because definitely during that time, I felt like, whoo, I don't know if I keep doing this. Um, but I stuck with it because I really, really believe and what we're trying to do here. Uh, and Daph was definitely supportive during that time period. You know, I couldn't ask for a better co-host, making sure looking out, making sure I'm okay. But also just, you know, stepping up with certain things, doing a little bit more than she normally had to do, uh, especially when it comes to like descriptions and all that kind of stuff, even posting, getting things out. Um, and so, you know, it took a real team effort to make sure that, you know, you guys were getting uh, this, this information and this knowledge, right, that you get every Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of share that because not a lot of people know, cause even during this time period, I had to, I was gaining a lot of the, a lot of weight because of the medication mm-hmm. that I was on. Um, and so as, as a recently, I think since last June or so, even last June, right. I started, my eyes started to get droop and have double vision, but it was because it takes a year or so year, year and a half for the surgery to actually be effective. Mm-hmm. And so finally now I have been able to see the the fruits of that surgery where I'm on very little medication. I've dropped, as I said on this podcast, almost like 30 pounds. So I'm almost back at even at my Purdue weight. Um, so everything is back on the up and up, but it has been a journey for these past few years. Uh, but this podcast has also been uh, an important thing in that journey for me to keep me pushing and moving forward and keeping me motivated. Yeah. You know? And even, you know, w- with treatments, like still like, oh, okay, I have this treatment at this time and we can tape at this time, like real dedication. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, that dedication has been there. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to mm-hmm. you for, you know, making it through that journey and doing all that you do. Um, Cause Ty does all the like mixing and editing and stuff like that. So it's a, a weekly job, like beyond just mm-hmm. the recording, whether it's um, recording our, regular episodes or recording descriptions or doing interviews, etc. So it's a real job yeah, getting a podcast yeah. out there. Um, mm-hmm. I would say for me, um, 
it was, it's been a journey simply because I'm the type of person, um, I have a lot going on. Like, so this podcast started around the time that I was about to uh, begin like my dissertation proposal, which that is kind of the easy phase. You're not doing a lot, but it was also the time that I was moving from Cambridge to uh Illinois. And, you know, just because I'm no longer in Cambridge, it doesn't mean that my life isn't still there. It just means I'm living with my husband, but my life is back in Cambridge. And um, I actually travel to Cambridge every other week. Um, And I started to, it was starting to take over my life a little bit. So I, now what I do is I usually have to be there one day every other week and I fly out on like Wednesday night and fly back out Thursday night. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little tiring, but also beyond that, I um, decided to spend a year collecting data for my dissertation and it was really intense. Um, We talked about this a little bit. I conducted Probably now it's like more than 140 interviews. I was at the school every single day um, doing participant observations. And so balancing the interviews because, you know, we have like 100 episodes and we've done a lot of interviews with a lot of amazing people. So balancing interviews, the regular taping, for those of you who don't know, we tape every weekend. Um mostly the intros, but sometimes when we have these episodes, you know, we're taping longer episodes. So for me, it's been a task in uh, balancing, um, but also prioritizing and say like, okay, what do I really want to do with my life? Yes, I want to be a professor. Yes, you know, I want to do research. But for me, I've always wanted to put knowledge out there and put it out there in the public. So, you know, realizing and seeing that like BHD is my opportunity to do something that I've always wanted to do. And that is not just be stuck in the ivory tower and think that that is good enough. Um, So learning how to prioritize and balance everything. And now it's better because I'm only writing, I'm not collecting data. Um, But I would say last year was really difficult just because uh, collecting data was literally a full-time job, which I haven't had since I was like 23, Uh, (laughs) for real. But I was in the school from like eight to four or nine to four. Sometimes we would have taping after. Sometimes if we had like a midday taping, you know, I would leave the school, you know, drive to where I was staying, record, and then like drive back to the school so that I could finish up observations for today. Um, So that was really crazy. I don't want to have to do that again. So hopefully when I'm a professor, I have some research assistants. Yeah, I go do this work, go learn. Uh, but it's a part of the process. That's why I always appreciate, you know, those kind of things, you know, because it's like at least you said that you can say you've done it. You know, you've experienced it. Yeah. Uh, it's a notch on your belt. But, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think, um, yeah, for you, you know, on my side, looking at how you've been dedicated to this, definitely like with the traveling, you know, I'm like, good gosh, like you bring your mic everywhere with you. You have a John drop off the mic for you. You know, it's like you're bringing the equipment to make sure you got the Internet service. You're paying for the premium Internet service in the hotels. If you're there to make sure the connection is good, Um, even times if the Internet if the if the the uh, I guess the mic or stuff wasn't working properly, we had to go back and re-record the audio mm-hmm. to make sure that it's good enough quality oh, for the episode. I remember we remember did, yes, times? yes, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing; I travel with my mic 
everywhere. And it's 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 not a small mic. It's it's called a blue yeti or something like that. Yeah, it's, blue it's, yeti. it's pretty weighty and pretty it's a hefty sizable. Mic. <laughs> <laughs> but it I travel with it everywhere. Mic. And I travel like on a weekly basis, like even now I am about to go back to Tennessee and do just a little bit of follow up research, but I'm going to have my mic and, you know, we, we recording interviews and, you know, mm-hmm. we working it around, we working around data collection. So. Working around, working around. Yeah. So, you know, I think I just want to take time to share because I think a lot of people, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication and I uh, kind of want to just shine people into that. Even like you said, with the editing, uh, you know, that's something I had to dedicate time before we started. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that before the we started the podcast, I would say Daph and I were working on it for a few months before we even launched. Like there was a lot of preparation, getting down what we're trying to do, learning the software, learning how to edit, all of that technical kind of stuff um, of how to make it run. And of course it wasn't perfect and it still isn't perfect. And we've grown since then. Um, but I think that, you know, it's just a constant effort you're putting in, uh, to learn this. And I, you know, I like, I like it now that I actually learned a new skill doing this podcast, uh, cause I've never touched audio editing software before and video editing software and, and understanding how all that kind of stuff works. And so it's just cool, like advancing, um, in that way too, like learning a new skill set, which was, has been kind of fun. Yeah, I say for me because for so I do have a, another podcast, but we don't release weekly episodes because for me the editing is a lot, and I don't have time to write a dissertation, do PhD, <laughs> and do the second podcast. So that's more of like a seasonal podcast type thing. Mm-hmm. But like, yo, it's a skill, but I, I don't enjoy it. Yeah, you just got to get into it. You know, I have a before it was a lot when we first started, then you give a rhythm and you get things in certain settings in place and it makes it a little bit more streamlined and easier. Because um, yeah, when we first started, I was like, oh, this is a lot. But then we figured out, especially how to do the interviews, how to release them. It gives me more time to edit. So, you know, not how to do it so, oh, so much every week. Uh, so it's a lot of pacing out. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot, y'all. Don't think this podcast thing is just like a walk in the park. You have to be dedicated and you got to be dedicated for the long haul. You know, when I look at our our numbers, um, I look at our chart. I looked at it last week or so on the statistics of how our podcast has grown. And it's just been on that. You know, you look at them charts, it's been going on an up and up since we started, you know, uh, which is great. That means we're getting a lot more listeners, a lot more of you are tuning in and sharing. Um, So we definitely appreciate all of y'all who have who are new to the podcast, who've been here a few months ago, who've been with us from day one, you know, um, I appreciate your dedication too mm-hmm. in, in supporting BHD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely been a journey, but I have mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And just to see, you know, I guess people actually listening and feeling like they're getting something from it. I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when people just hit you up and say they, they liked it or they reposted and say this episode was amazing or that they learned so much or, um, you know, I think that that does mean a lot. Even, you know, if it's just one person, two people every once in a while, just that feedback, that positive feedback is really like, ah, yes, this is why I want to keep doing this, you know, and keeps keeps the gas in the tank for a little bit longer. Um, and so I guess like with any journey, like you said, one of the things you always do is, is look to the future. So I guess we could talk about what we like to see in store for, let's say, the next 100 episodes, you know, with BHD and some of the things we like to to try to make happen 
uh, for the future of this podcast. Yeah. So you got anything first, Daph? You you think we should try to tackle? Well, so I would say the guests that we bring on. So like um like you said, this year has been kind of a testament to like the you know, the type of guests that we can have on. Like we've had some amazing people. And like you said, we had like some really big names. And I, I will just admit, I am one of those persons. I hate bothering people. Uh it's like it's just one <laughs> of those things where it's just like I don't know. I just, I'm really empathetic and I feel like I'm bothering people. But I know for me, it's just like <laughs> stepping out there and just going, going for the the big people and going for new topics and um, just things that I maybe didn't think was possible because it's like, okay, you know, we were a small platform. Maybe, you know, people won't, but it's just kind of like, if you don't try, you can't get it. So it's just like, you know, in terms of like who we reach out to, I definitely want to, you know, put things out there more. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, getting some higher profile guests on. Um, yeah. I don't, I really don't feel bad reaching out to people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll <be> like, <laughs> Uh, and that, no, I mean, I've sent even guests we've had on in the past. I've seen repeat emails. I'll send it again if they don't respond after a while. Like, I'm going to keep bugging you uh, eventually to get you on. Ty uh, is that person. <laughs> I'm one of those who is when you ignore my email, I'll be like, OK, you don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I get, I'm more of the person if you've are, if you've expressed interest then I'm going to keep bothering you. Yeah. Uh, if you don't say anything, I'm like, okay, I'll, lay, I'll leave you alone. But folks are like, oh, yeah, sure. And then they don't get back to us. So I'm like, oh, well, you said you want to. So I'm, I'm going to keep bugging you uh, to remind you that you said you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that's, the hook. that's funny. Um, yeah, so I think um, one of the things I want us to start doing too, and I guess this was, like I said last week, was going to be one of the the big announcements because, like I said, we want to keep growing the podcast and growing the platform, and even just as educators, right, Dev, we know that people learn through multiple ways, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, through listening, through the reading, when we have the blog posts and the BHD community blog up and going and now the other way we want to introduce it is through the visual way <laughs> and we would like to start do some live streamings with bhd podcast um in 2020 um so we're really excited about that it's something that we've had uh kind of on our to-do list for a while but like i said due to like health issues and stuff with me and us being busy and doing a lot of things haven't really been get, gotten around to it and so now this is something i really want to start getting forward early 2020 um and got already some things set up and squared away and so yeah that you can start being able to catch daff and i of course will inform you all as time goes on and promote it a bit more but i'm thinking we'll do live streamings um you know on on facebook and youtube uh, we'll, we'll sit around and it'll just allow us to interact with you guys live. Uh, you know, we're talking about various things. You can chat with us. We can answer questions on the spot or have you engage with us. And that's, I think, a missing component is I kind of want that live feedback um, from you all. Um, so we'll figure out the nuts and bolts and how we're going to move forward with it. But I think you can start expecting um, some live streaming or you will start expecting some live streaming from, from BHD Podcast early 2020. Yeah. See, I'm going to have to start getting dressed because the one thing about this podcast <laughs> is you know this is remote uh all online you know half the time my hair ain't even done but uh, that's gonna change in 2020 <laughs> uh come as you are daft come as you are Child. trust me they ain't gonna be li- listening to us and watching us as 
uh, in a best of time. But you know, I was thinking about the same thing. I can't lie. I was like, damn, I have to get more lineups. Nobody better catch those screenshots of me. <laughs> I'm gonna throw a hat on or something. I could just throw a hat on. Um, it probably look easier for me, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna start doing. I think that'll be a fun way to start engaging with y'all all too. Um, and I think another thing we're going to start doing, this is also a call for the listeners that we want to start. We will start participating in some, you know, live events, too. Um, you know, whether uh, we, we have something in the works now where we're trying to put together a workshop um, at an event. And again, we'll keep you updated on that. But if you all think or would like us to, you know, maybe do some kind of speaking engagements or educational engagements or moderators for certain events and stuff like that. You know, me and Daph are more than willing to participate. So if you know of any events, that would be great. Or you would like us at any events, whether at schools or organizations and things like that, you know, hit us up and let's see if we can work something out. Cause again, we want to get out there and start, start touching the people more um, and, and really emphasizing this public aspect to, to education and enlightenment. Um, and so trying to just branch out a little more outside of just the audio parts, which is still going be our primary form of getting to y'all but you know opening the doors and avenues to, to other ways of, of reaching the, the people yeah, yeah. Um, else, I, I think those are uh, the big things of course follow us we definitely you know want to continue to build our uh, social media presence trying to post news and you know interesting insights and etc um, so yeah and if you want to be a guest again you do not have to be a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be a guest. Yeah. And you know, and even if you want you to know? help out with the podcast, you know, if there's something you somewhere you feel like you could contribute, you know, we'll, we'll take that too. Like we said, it's a lot of work. Uh, I'll say one thing that me and Daph have always been, are always willing to help or have yes. help for is social media, you know, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is you feel like you're really good at and you would like to, to potentially help out. I mean, Come on, we would we would we would love to have a social media person tag on with us and, and really uh, manage those accounts and getting stuff out there, uh, and it'll really you know ease some of the burden for Daph and I. But whatever way you feel like you can help, let us know. Uh, we'll be interested to to hear from you and and get you on board if possible. So we definitely like yeah. it. it takes a community, mm-hmm. right? Right, Daph. It does. <laughs> uh, but um. Yeah, sounds like we talked about everything. He's asked about everything we want to talk about. Uh, you know, again, just shout out to, to our listeners. Shout out to us. Shout out to the BHD community. Episode 100, we made it. Mama, we made it. Yes. <laughs> we made it. Uh, so it's been fun, and uh, we'll be in- we'll be excited to have you on for the ride for the next 100 episodes and beyond. Um so for those of you who are new to this episode or not new to this episode, um, go ahead and share us. But before you share us, follow us on social media at BHD Podcast. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. As we said earlier, you can visit our, uh, our website, blackandhollydangerous.com. Yeah, Don't yeah. the other website. I mean, but <laughs> what you do in your free time? Uh, <laughs> just make sure you're clicking on the right one if you want to be educated That's and informed. Funny. All right. <laughs> Uh, and then um, go ahead and email us if you want to contact us, especially after you heard this episode. Want to help? Reach out, guest, 
you know, have us come talk, whatever it is, you can reach us bhdpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's bhdpodcast at gmail.com. Pretty easy to remember. And then go ahead and review and rate us on iTunes if you haven't did that yet. Please, hey, make it a gift for me and dad for making it to 100 episodes. Go ahead and just drop in that review and that comment for us. Uh, We really appreciate that. Then after you do that, go ahead and share us with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies, and as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.